0: Hello, my name's Mark Searby, and I'm a film critic, broadcaster and author of Al Pacino, The Movies Behind the Man. Thanks for clicking play on episode five of All About Al, the Pacino podcast. This episode is taking a look at the HBO miniseries Angels in America. Based on the play of the same name by award winning playwright Tony Kushner and directed by Mike Nichols, Angels in America is set in 1985 and tells the story of Prior Walter a gay man who discovers he has AIDS. His lover, Louis, breaks up with him. At the same time, Hannah, who is a Mormon, is struggling to come to terms with her son Joe's sexuality. Joe's wife, Harper, is strung out on Valium and wants to escape her sexless marriage. Joe works for right-wing fixer slash PR man Roy Cohn, who's in the closet and has just discovered he has AIDS. Later on, As Cohen lays dying in a hospital, he comes face to face with the ghost of Ethel Rosenberg, a woman who was convicted of being a spy for the Soviet Union and was sentenced to death. Cohen was the prosecutor in that case. The miniseries and the play are split into two parts, Millennium Approaches and Perestroika. The miniseries devotes three episodes to each part. I think I've done a pretty average job of explaining the miniseries there. It's such a complex piece of work that trying to boil it down to two or three lines is pretty impossible. Maybe the easiest way would be to say it's a story about the interconnecting lives of various New Yorkers affected by the issues of that era. But even then, that doesn't really cover it at all. So I brought in a fellow film critic to help me discuss this miniseries. Victoria Luxford has written for the Radio Times, the Metro Newspaper and The Guardian, amongst others. She's currently the film editor for City AM Newspaper and until recently was the resident film critic for BBC Radio Coventry in Warwickshire. Alongside all of those, Victoria is also a huge lover of Angels in America. In this episode, you'll hear how she became obsessed with the miniseries, why she believes it to be a hugely important piece of work and how paramount Al Pacino's casting was for it. So here it is, All About Al, The Pacino Podcast, Episode 5, with film critic Victoria Luxford on Angels in America. I liked about sending you an email was I kind of thought you were not going to turn around and say can we do x or can we do y in terms of Uh the big movies I kind of expected you to turn around and tell me can we do some of these smaller movies because I know you're always looking at some of the smaller movies compared to the big ones I did not expect you to turn around and tell me can we do Angels in America so tell me the story behind your love affair with Angels in
1: America Um, Well, one thing I will say is probably 10 years ago, I would have said, um, can I do The Godfather? But um, I I would have been arrogant enough to think I could add to that conversation. But um, uh, Angels America has a very personal um, connection to me. It's it's my wife's favorite play. And uh, when you're first with someone... It's, uh, you know, you do this cultural exchange. We have quite a lot of um, overlapping tastes, but um, this is something I, I wasn't particularly well-versed in theatre, and this is something that she absolutely adored. The uh, most accessible way of seeing it uh, prior to the um, uh, uh, the National Theatre production that came out a few years ago with Andrew Garfield, the easiest way to see it was this HBO production, and obviously a lot of people in it, a lot of um, huge stars in it, led by Al Pacino, and it just became a very personal film to us. Um, I don't think there's a day that goes by that there isn't some kind of quote in there um, about, you know, painful progress, or, you know, the world is so very old, or the, it's such a poetic movie that i believe um or series or however you consumed it um it is um it's one that sticks around with you
0: so you've been living with this basically mm-hmm. since you got with your other half yeah and that's kind of the same as to how the whole mini series well even the play itself came about i mean the mini series. Oh. Uh, Carrie Bruckow, who was the producer, was trying to make it for so long and couldn't get it made because it was so big. You know, it's such a dense subject. Well, subjects, I think we should say that you can see why nobody would take it on, especially early 90s when we didn't have event TV. We didn't have what we've Uh got now as well. So you can see why it took so long. Uh But. When you first saw it, what, what do you remember what your reaction was when you first saw it? Because I don't really recall any build up here in the UK. I remember there being build up in, in the US, but I don't mm. remember anything here in the UK. So I'm just curious as to what you remember when you first came to it.
1: Um, I think, like a lot of HBO stuff uh, in the UK, it wasn't particularly well um, distributed. Uh, something like The Wire if you remember uh was uh learned about through dvds and uh, so i'm i'm looking at it now my little fact sheet the dvd cover of angels in america um that was just around a lot it was in dvd stores it was in um uh it was in the collections of you know learned people i knew uh throughout the 2000s and I, I I'm sure it must have shown on channel 4 or something I vaguely remember uh, a commercial for it and you recognize those stars Al Pacino Mal Streep Emma Thompson uh, who would people who would become stars Jeffrey Wright um, Justin Kirk and it wasn't as uh, um, an especially uh notable thing to me Um queer um films queer tv shows were a bit of a a rarity in the early 2000s um and if they were there they were of questionable quality you know for every queer as folk there was queer eye for the straight guy which wasn't so something that was a, a six hours dealt with the AIDS crisis in america and is based on quite a weighty play it, it certainly was something i knew i needed to watch but it wasn't until i i literally entered a relationship with someone who sung its praises that um i i gave it a watch
0: it's heavy viewing let's be honest yeah. you know it and i think you bring up a good point there about the wire because the wire is heavy viewing as well i mean right. we're not saying that they're both very similar we're just explaining that you know certain things seem to have the same sort of um, arc in terms of people discovering them but Angels in America is sure. such weighty viewing whether you're watching it on stage or whether you're watching this um, miniseries it's still heavy going you know you really I, I, yeah. I think you have to sit there and prepare yourself for it because of the subject matter there is no uh-huh. point in this movie where I'm kind of I don't know. You you might know this more than me, but mm-hmm. I never find myself laughing at this movie. Like there's no there's no real jokes in here at all.
1: Um, there's a couple of sort of things that I think in LGBTQ spaces will draw a capital. Um, there is a point where um, uh, the character played by Justin Kirk, prior Walter, um, says, you know, you know, it's bad when even drag is a drag. And, you know, these, these little plays on words and um, it's a very dark humor. So there, there are little dark jokes in there, but it is gallows humor. And yeah, like you're very right to say, it's a weighty subject. It, it's it's a subject that America, particularly in 2000, we're talking 20 years ago now. So this is, you know, might not seem a long, long ago to people of our vintage, but um, it was a generation ago and it was a generation that, didn't want to face up to what was happening with the HIV AIDS crisis in America. Um, and I don't think this is a uh, a movie or a series that would have been made without the involvement of someone like uh, Mike Nichols, literally an EGOT. List off, you know, The Birdcage, Working Girl, huge commercial hits, and then um, Catch-22, the graduate who's afraid of virginia wolf this is a very heavyweight director the late great um mike nichols and then the cast meryl streep you know copyright greatest actress who ever lived um al pacino probably you know this sounds maybe disingenuous on a, a podcast of this caliber but of this subject but One of the greatest actors who ever lived by that point, Oscar winner, by that point, entering the prestige moment of his career, the prestige chapter of his career. Playing a man dying of AIDS, that's still a difficult subject for America. That's still a difficult subject for a commercial entity, even like HBO, who are... uh, known for tougher subjects like the wire Uh, and yeah i do think there are parallels the wire is about america losing the drug war the wire is about the school system failing about print media not uh, particularly uh, having to do more with less and it's about the police system being fundamentally flawed and the justice system and the political system all things that you don't necessarily want to hear on seven o'clock during a weeknight when you're watching things like CSI where the cops are the heroes and and that's not wrong either but there are realities to these type types of stories and the reality of Angels in America is that there are many people who to quote the film uh, to quote the Uh, the work once again have died secret deaths see even
0: that line Uh is
1: really Uh heavy it's very
0: heavy stuff and yet at the same time it's quite a mesmerizing show miniseries Uh film Uh, me and you're going to go back and forth as to what we're calling it let's just go with angels in america whatever anybody else wants to call for it but it is a really addictive watch This is the thing Mm. is you can't turn away from it because, as you said, it's such a great cast and you're Mm. unsure, especially when you go into it and much like me going into it blind, just going into it as a Pacino fan and not knowing Mm. the play, not knowing where it came from. All I know is Pacino's in it, Meryl Streep's in it. It's directed by Mike Nichols. You know, Mm. and at this point, I don't think I knew who Tony Kushner was either. Um, You go into it and you go, okay, what am I watching? And it takes a while for Pacino to turn up. And when he turns up, he is the nastiest man on the planet. Now, obviously, we've got to remember that he is playing somebody who was a real person as well. Um, But he is nasty. And there is, I I write in my book about Pacino that there is a lot of similarities between his performance as Roy Cohen and his performance as Big Boy Caprice. Because they are these kind of, despicable characters who you, as much as in Dick Tracy, you're kind of like, hey, it's fun. And, you know, yeah, yeah. there is a through line there where if you stopped Pacino in Dick Tracy being fun and just let him be that nasty character that you see who, you know, bangs the table and kills people, you're looking at a Roy Cohen type character here. And I think it's difficult to really... Watch a movie where you go, okay, Al Pacino's in this, but he is the nastiest person in the world. Because realistically, mm. he's never done anything like that before. Well, here's
1: the thing. I think I I think I probably differ slightly from that because I think um, Pacino's always been incredibly brave in his uh, choices. Uh, you think of something like Cruising in the 80s. Um, uh, dog day afternoon. Can you imagine someone making that today? Man robbing. Uh, uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but robbing a bank to pay for transition surgery—is that? That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Can you imagine that today in this climate? Um, but he has never been conscious of a rep to maintain. He's never had to be the action hero. He's never had to be, um, uh, the romantic lead. He's never had to be. In fact, it probably, it probably handicapped him a little bit when he was playing the romantic hero, because I, I, there's something about, you know, this comes four years after he literally played the devil. Um, and a few years before he would, uh. I feel specter you know these 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 people who are without redemption who you do not want um to uh relate to 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 find the story of and he's not interested in redemption Roy Cohn is not interested in redemption like big boy Caprice he is He's a pit bull. He's a pit bull snarling at the world. He's a man who is beyond redemption. So a man who went out of his way to stifle the um stifle the rights of gay people in the United States, who him then himself contracts HIV AIDS, vehemently denies it. Um you know in that latter era Pacino voice that growl um I don't do the impression but you know what I'm talking about I'm sure (laughs) there's plenty of people that will the post scent of a woman kind of I think the comedian uh Jay Moore says after a certain point it sounds like he's very tired um uh but that growl of I have liver cancer and it's this man cursing the darkness. And I think another actor would want to show the more vulnerable side, would want to reveal some kind of redemption. Pacino, not so much. Pacino goes into this man who is without redemption. And historically, look, I'm no political or legal historian, but from what I've read of the real Roy Cohn, also a character without much redemption uh someone uh, i read the you know just glossing over the wikipedia quickly before we started um a quote that said you know he knew the value of wrapping himself in the flag and so this is a man who is all about pretense who is all about um how things seem he doesn't want to be disbarred because of how that would look he doesn't it doesn't matter what he's done he doesn't care whether or not he has some sort of divine um, retribution coming he wants to know that he has a legacy he wants to know that he is remembered and he's accepting his fate but also he is scowling against it scowling at it um just an incredible portrayal of the anger and hypocrisy of closeted people in power the anger and hypocrisy that led to those secret deaths of what was a um a uh, i suppose a tacit genocide on a community in america and in and around the world an entire generation of of gay men and women uh, annihilated because it was too difficult to deal with or prejudice was such that you know not our problem and he's a personification of that and i think it's such a brave performance and such an interesting performance and one that's worthy of all of the many awards he won for it
0: yeah it's interesting you 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 said it you said the word there a few times actually which is brave and Mm. i think it must be pointed out here as well is that pacino was the first person to sign on to make this and that's back in 1993 Mm. so you're talking about he's just come off sense of a woman yeah. Something like that. He's got the yeah. world at his feet. He could he, he, you know, he could have done anything. Um, to quote somebody who told me this, at one point Pacino could have played the Queen of England on camera. Mm. He was having mm. that much thrown at him. So for him to turn around with an Oscar in his back pocket and immediately say, I want to play this despicable character and mm. continue to want to play this person through the 90s when it was having all of these problems trying to get not just funding but directors you know robert altman was meant to do it first and then he dropped out and then there was other people they talked to as well like neil laboot was meant to be doing it as well uh pj hogan you know and then obviously mike nichols comes in pacino's already signed on so that's an additional bonus yet at the same time his character is not it's difficult to say who's the central figure in this because I, oh. I think there's so many. Oh. But when you have somebody like Pacino signing on oh. to a very tough subject, like what we've said, a weighty subject like this, I think it possibly helps get it greenlit oh. a little bit. But then when you oh. add into the mix Meryl Streep as well and you turn around and you say, Meryl Streep and Al Pacino are going to have this face-off that is one of the most snarling, despicable, yes. and yet entertaining face-offs you will see you uh-huh. kind of go okay i'm interested in seeing this because that's what that face-off is really isn't it you know when they're when he's laid on his bed he's almost dying and she comes to see him uh-huh. i'm just i just look at it and go i don't know who could have gone toe-to-toe with pacino on that apart from meryl streep and the, the, the thing is obviously they were friends but i think that scene those scenes work perfectly together
1: uh-huh they're they're both such um powerful actors, but in very different ways. I think Streep has an authority to her that um again, you know entering her kind of authority figure legend phase that Pacino was in at that point um. You know, she she had an authority that she would later m- translate into things like The Devil Wears Prada, various other, you know, pick a title out of a hat, <laughs> that kind of foreboding presence. And here she is playing someone who is holding him to judgment. And she is sitting there um, and doesn't have to do an awful lot to get the message across which allows Pacino to be that snarling demon of uh this man just hating his fate and a man who's always been in control of the truth he's always tried to control how his image is he's a closeted man you know i Myself and nearly every other member of the LGBT community has been closeted. We know how to manicure how we appear to people because it's a question of survival. He's made it a lifestyle. And um, these judgments that are coming down on him are perfectly delivered by Streep and... uh, They all, you know, everyone won a ton of awards for this. I think it leveled the Emmy record, I think only Schitt's Creek. And The Crown have uh, been nominated and won in the same number of categories as this. And that's because that's just two actors who know what space to occupy. And... um. An underrated aspect, I think, of Pacino's uh, ability is the um, capacity to accommodate a number of scene partners. So we know now Jeffrey Wright from Westworld. We know him from Bond. We know him from a number of other things that uh, have benefited from him as an incredibly versatile actor he wasn't that well known Mm. there's a very famous scene where his character a nurse um gender fluid nurse um named uh belize tells him about heaven and it's everything that roy Cohn loathes uh genderless raceless um a mixture, a melting pot, everything a a right-wing American uh, or a hard-right American would consider hell. But that's heaven. Pacino rails against it, but again, he gives Jeffrey Wright the space to deliver an absolute masterclass, and it makes him better by comparison. And uh, as an actor who is known... I suppose by sort of the passive viewer as someone who might chew a scenery you know the the scar face of it all the scent of a womanhood of it all it is underrated how much of a good scene partner Pacino can be in his greater moments.
0: You know it's interesting you actually say that Victoria is the fact that for a lot of people who I've spoken to when I was writing the book and now doing the podcast as well, is that a lot of them turn around and say, he's a very giving actor. He will allow you to push the scene. He will allow you to run the scene. You know, he's not the guy who wants to be front and centre with all the best lines at all. And I think when you have somebody like that, who has been as high as possible and has won as many awards as he does, he could still be he could still be the Roy Cohen of the film oh. world in terms of his attitude. But he's not. He allows other people, as you said, you know, Jeffrey Wright's performance in there opposite him is fantastic. And oh. I think that's because there's that space for them to breathe oh. in each other and to take it and not. Ha- not. I think the thing with the Angels in America, certainly, is the fact that there is a lot of space. There's a yeah. lot of, no- as much as the dialogue's great, don't get me wrong, you know, Tony Kushner's dialogue is it, it's sensational. It's There's still space where nobody talks. Yeah. And yet it feels like it's just as important as what they are saying to each other as well. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about this coming out in the early noughties, that probably wouldn't happen that much. Mm-hmm. I think it was, you know, going back to what you were saying about CSI, 45 minutes wrapped up. Thank you very much. It's all done. To have a show like Angels in America turn around and say we're going to fill this thirty-second gap of Pacino and Streep or Pacino and Wright, whoever it is, with nothing apart from cinematography of them looking at each other. Mm -hmm. Most, most, I suspect, people who put the money up, you know, the studios would turn around and go, no, no, we we need more dialogue. We need Mm -hmm. need more bang for our buck from those characters but they don't and i think that's the beauty of angels in america is it takes its time and kushner wanted it to he didn't know how to get past the first point because he narrowed it down and it was going to be one movie and then somebody said to him why don't you make it into two parts and i think that gave him that extra impetus to allow it to breathe more and for that we get all of these brilliant performances. I mean, me and you were talking about Pacino here heavily, but, we, you know, yeah. you're right. We've got to talk about other people in there. We've got to talk about Mary Louise Parker, who's great in there uh-huh. as well. Um, you know, it's, I think it's an ensemble piece that nowadays we will probably get because people are throwing money left, right and centre at episodic mm. episodic event TV. But back then, not so much. I mean, there might be other people out there who turn around to us and say, well, what about this? Mm. And that's that's a fair point. You know what about these TV shows? That's a fair point. But when you're talking about a miniseries that costs thirty seven million, that's all it oh. costs, thirty seven million, and they put it on screen like this, and you go, every single dollar is on that screen, either in the oh. acting or the look of it. And that was a rarity back then, and it still looks amazing now. Let's be honest.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think it is a rarity that I I. Bit fuzzy with my dates, but perhaps you could say something like uh, "Band of Brothers" or something like that. Band of Brothers was backed by two industry giants in um, uh, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. It came off of Saving Private Ryan. There was a degree of marketability. It's a very patriotic film. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but. If in that time I'm going to pitch you, it's Al Pacino, but he looks seconds from death. He is a bigot. He is a corrupt lawyer. He doesn't go on any kind of redemption arc. Um, everyone's playing different roles. One of the lead parts is Patrick Wilson, who was a relatively unknown actor now, now known for... Again, pick out a a a franchise, the Aquaman franchise, uh, the Conjuring, um, or Insidious, and um, he is a big movie star. But at that time, playing a straight laced family man who treats cheats on his wife because he's a closeted gay man, and the wife's played by Mary Mary Louise Parker, and she has her own issues with mental health. Um, Justin Kirk is a man. Uh, dying of um, HIV/AIDS, or at least believing he is. It's not a cheerful watch, <laughs> and the and the whole thing is six hours. And the reason we're calling it movie or show, is because it was released in two parts, two three hour parts. It was released in six episodes, and both are serviceable. Yeah. Um. And it's 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 about a deadly disease. It is not cheerful. It is not. Um, something that will leave you uh, believing the world is a bright and wonderful place. It may leave you believing that the world is more resilient and more hopeful than it is. Um, This show, movie, however it came out, doesn't get made without Meryl Streep, doesn't get made without Al Pacino, doesn't get made without Mike Nichols because you say... I have no idea what this is. Oh, what's it about? Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, <laughs> Al Pacino's in it. Oh, yeah. Meryl Streep's in it. Oh, Emma Thompson's in it. You know, um, I'll give it a go. And that, we're old enough to remember when um, star-led movies and shows were the the, the norm. But it, it, it really was a risk that those actors were taking.
0: Me and you were talking about it, and both me and you love this miniseries. You know, I love it beyond the Pacino performance. That's the thing, because oh. it's such a riveting piece of work. And yet you've just tried to sell that to somebody who's possibly never seen it. Oh. And the first part of what you're trying to say is, well, you're not going to have a good time here.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I the, mean,
0: but on the other hand, let me tell you who's oh. in it.
1: Mm. and 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 i think that that could only happen in this point in his career and i think you it's interesting that you said he chose to do this in 93 um post oscar post um commercial hit with central woman um post sort of i i guess you could call it comeback i don't know i always say when they say comeback it, you know it was only sort of a few years after he was Doing quite well in the early 80s, I think we can agree. You know, Scarface and things like that, although they weren't financial hits, they were cultural hits. And um, so, if you can, if you want to call it a comeback, he's on the verge of doing something like Heat. And he could have gone in the direction, let's face it, the actor with whom he's so often compared, Robert De Niro, movies that somewhat um excuse me um somewhat market his uh status Hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying Robert De Niro didn't take risks I'm saying there are movies that place him on a pedestal that perhaps Pacino doesn't go for in the same way I don't know other many other actors who would don that gigantic wig to play Phil Spector (laughs) Um, I don't know many other um, actors who would look as emaciated and angry you know he's jerking forward from his hospital bed uh, short hair grey complexion, eyes bulging out of it. it it's not flattering but he doesn't need to he doesn't need to have um, himself bathed in light. He doesn't need to be Oscar winner Al Pacino. And neither does Meryl Streep. You know, these aren't flattering performances. They aren't performances of manicured movie stars. They're gritty, they're grimy. And I think to people, like, as you say, you know, I'm just thinking of scenes. There's one scene where a character breaks up uh, you know, Prior Walter's boyfriend breaks up with him because he's scared because he doesn't know what HIV/AIDS is because he just hears that it's this cancer and he can't deal with that. And it's a despicable move from the outside, but there's some kind of empathy toward it because because who could see their partner go through that? And it's not palatable. None of this is palatable. It deals with faith and the history of the world and these big questions and mythology. Um, And I think it's a prime example of how great art isn't always comforting.
0: See, it's interesting you say the word art in there, because Mm. that's what I wrote in the book as well, is that Angels in America is a piece of art masquerading as a miniseries. And I think that's what it is. And this goes back to what I was saying oh. is that for $37 million, this is what you get. And it looks every single bit more than $37 million, even in this day and age. Oh. I, I, That's why I think this miniseries film, whatever we're calling it, oh. still stands up. When you just look at angels in America, you go, well, oh, this must've been made this year or last year oh. or something. It's, I, I think that's the beauty of it is that it, it has these amazing sets but then it uses new york as a set
1: myself and my wife in 2016 visited new york i used to live in new york uh ironically around the time this would have been filmed and um uh well maybe a year later but uh i lived i lived there i had no idea what the i'm sure i walked past it um but uh 2016 revisited my old home and in one of the must see stops was the bethesda fountain as you say it makes it is the subject of the final scene it is the scene where prior walter discusses his um renewal i guess the the hope and he uses the example of the bethesda fountain a famous central park fountain and they turn it off in the winter because there is ice in the pipes another one of those quotes that we um randomly throw out in our household it's used as an example of the resilience of new will come again and and uh new hope is always there that the the ice thaws and the 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 fountain is as it's beautiful in all its glory once again and it's where he meets the rest of the characters as a kind of coda the final speech and yeah we went and saw it we went and had our photos by it we went in winter because there's ice in the pipes in the winter <laughs> and they turn it off. And um, it's important. It's symbolic. And there's so much, like you say, as as a work of art, the symbolism of uh, Bethesda, an angel figure atop a fountain, this mythology of New York as uh, a place that feels like the epicenter of everything, and at that time was the epicenter of the AIDS crisis. You know, H- another HBO show, Pose, there's a reason that's set in New York. It's a big hub for the LGBTQ community. It is a big hub for the number of people dying. And it it, it, it is not a, like I say, a comfortable miniseries film, however you consume it, it is one that ends on a hopeful note.
0: You said the word hope there. The fact mm. that the, the miniseries, the film, leaves it, leaves it on hope, like hope mm. is there. And when I spoke to Carrie Brockow, who was the producer on it, I said to him, what feedback did you get from the LGBTQ plus community? Mm. And he said to me, incredible, absolutely incredible. He said there was not one quibble at all. And he said, I'm going to quote him here because this is brilliant. I have a friend who is very big in that community. And he said to me once, there's a special door in heaven just for you because of Angels in America. I just have one last question for you, Victoria. And I want to mm. move away from Angels in America and ask this question of you. Mm. What's your favourite Al Pacino movie? Ha. <laughs>
1: That's <laughs> a tough. <laughs> one. Uh, I'm going to very quickly vamp while I pull up a filmography because I don't <laughs> want to, I don't want to uh, uh, look at um, a film and think, "Gosh, I missed that one." <laughs> um, I have a lot of love in my heart because it look it's easy to say the Godfather and the Godfather Part Two. It's easy to say something like Panic in Needle Park. Uh, heat. I have a lot of love in my heart for Center of a Woman. I think if I hadn't have had the personal connection to uh, Angels in America, I would have chosen that. It is it. It's partly um, biographical. It is the first sort of grown up movie I watched. As I think anybody who's in love with film, who considers themselves a film buff has that period in their teens or young where they're younger where they're just devouring everything and I think scent of a woman was a movie I just dis- quote unquote discovered quite early on in my life and um, it was um, in the same way that kind of Citizen Kane just sort of takes that greatest film of all time like a jersey and um, number in the rafters of a, an American sporting Centerville uh, Woman was, quote-unquote, my favourite move. I didn't particularly have a lot of um, a, a wide base to compare it to, but it, I, I found it at the time. I found the performance really powerful. I found this idea of this friendship so inviting. I, I found his performance just mesmerising, and I know... It's used as a stick to beat him with. The who are of it all, and um, it's the stereotype of of what people say when they um, say Pacino. And also the Oscar, you know, well, why did he get it for that and not for Michael Corleone? Move all that aside. It it it's a very tender movie. It's a very dark movie. Um, in a lot of ways, I think it deals with a man who is dealing with profound trauma and uh, mental health problems in quite a believable way. Uh, I think it's quite a beautiful film. I think the tango scene is, is, is very nice. And I think it's a very good example of a lot of young actors, Chris O'Donnell um, in that film, you know, barely out of short trousers. It's one of the first, uh, the first major movies I remember him in and look he didn't go on to have the type of career that Pacino had but he gave him space he gave him a space he's not just um uh, a character to react to Pacino's quote-unquote antics and you can talk about you know taking the car for a test drive or the tango scene there are so many moments that are just small in a performance that's remembered as quite big, I think Centre Women's a lovely film, and it's one I always kind of come back to, and um, that is one that does leave me feeling quite uplifted.
0: Victoria Luxford discussing the incredible miniseries Angels in America. There's so much that can be said about that miniseries. It's such a weighty show and an important one as well. I think Victoria and I just about scratched the surface on it. And I especially liked how Victoria slowly fell under the show's spell. So much so that her and her partner made a trip to the filming locations. I think it shows how affecting angels in America can be and in different ways to different people. I've always been a big fan of the miniseries. That performance from Pacino is remarkable, so evil and nasty and without remorse until it's too late. But even then, when faced with the ghost of Ethel Rosenberg, he's happy to fight back on his deathbed. It's no wonder Pacino and many of the other cast and crew won so many awards for their work in Angels in America. It's utterly brilliant television. It was event TV before that was a thing. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback, then please do get in touch. You can find me on X, aka Twitter, on Instagram and on Blue Sky, or you can contact me via my website, markseerbe.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for all future episodes. Until next time.